I'm Marcus Jones. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Ethan Warren. And we love to watch. We love to watch Barbara Gets Ripped. Ellen Ripley, that is. How do you like it? Not not <laughs> much. <laughs> that's that, that's the sort of thing that uh maybe Aaron would be able to you know nip in the bud, uh, kill before it rises from the grave. Uh, but he's not here today. Uh, Aaron will not be joining us for this episode. But uh, what what is what is this show? Uh, this is we love to watch. We're a movie podcast that has themed months, and we're actually kicking off a brand new theme right now for the summer, similar to what we did last summer with our summer of Lovecraft. Um, and the theme is called Screamakes. So our concept is respected horror remakes. Uh, the first, uh, the first uh, entry is uh, arguably a little controversial, um, but uh, it, had, it had a good rep for a really long time. Uh, and I remember loving it. So I really, I really vouched for it, really wanted to get it in the month. Aaron wasn't as excited about it. Um, and so, yeah, he's, he's not going to be on this, this episode. Um, but I decided to have uh, Mark. It, it felt it felt appropriate if we were going to do Night of the Living Dead to have uh, the guys that helped me record uh, the, the Night of the Living Dead episode back in 2017, uh, which I re-released last month during Siege Month. So you don't have to go digging all the way back. Um, uh, the, uh, they helped. Uh, they helped me uh, talk about Night of the Living Dead uh, and fill in fill in some of that space with with Aaron not here because Aaron was sick. Uh, for the 2017 episode, um, and we're going to talk about the remake today and how it it matches up to the original. So uh, I'm joined today by uh, good friends, uh, smart folks, fellow uh, media maker kind of people, uh, Ethan Warren and Marcus Jones. Hey guys, how you doing? Hey, you said my name. Yeah, you said my name too. It's yeah, great to be back so with cool. you guys. Reunion app. Yeah, reunion app. Doesn't it feel so good? Just us three. It's, I mean, I've been longing for it for three years now. It's the the way it should be. <laughs> yeah, it feels yeah. it just feels right. When it's right, it's right. You know. <laughs> so, so you you both think that this feels right? Like there's nothing missing? No, this feels no. like a new path forward for the show, and I'm I'm very excited to be part of it. That's what that, yeah, that's mean, what I, this is. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I just wanted to make sure that you guys you guys felt like that was the right thing for the show. You know, now I'm making some decisions this week on my own maybe i'm a little feeling a little self-conscious it's just nice to hear that you guys think that what we're doing this week is what the show needs so uh yeah so back in 2017 i had you guys on we talked about the original night of the living dead the masterpiece ethan you'd never seen that movie uh and i assume you'd never seen the remake either the 1990 remake directed by tom savini am i correct there that's correct. I had not seen this movie until uh, last week, and I longed for the time before I had seen it. Um, we'll get into that later. <laughs> so real quickly, real quickly, um, the goal of this summer for Scream Makes is uh, to tackle good horror remakes. And I remember this one being pretty good, like a four out of five movie, not, definitely not better than the original. A few movies we do this summer, we're go I think Aaron and I are going to make the argument. We made the arg we're going to make the argument that this remake actually surpasses the original. I don't think a soul on earth would say that uh, the Night of the Living Dead remake surpasses the original. Even people involved in it 
Well, no, I think George Romero would probably really like that he made money off this movie, which is is a huge improvement over the first one. But aside from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Marcus, had, had you'd seen this one as well and you were in a similar camp, right? Like you remembered it being good. Um, yeah, I, I think I just watched it once years and years ago, uh, obviously expecting it to be horrible as, you know, most remakes like this would be. Uh, and then being pleasantly surprised, being like, hey, that, that was actually really good rewatching it this time i'm like there's still a lot of things i like about it but overall like it's fine but it can't it can't be the original and it's a bit too close to the original to be its own thing either yeah so it's so while it doesn't fit uh it while i i like the movie as well similarly maybe a little bit more than you but while it doesn't fit necessarily the um our goal of the summer which is what are horror remakes that are are so good that they actually kind of go nose to nose with the original in some sense um or just stand up on their own two feet um this doesn't quite uh uh, uh fit that that uh, meter um but uh as we are just ending up siege month um and this movie and dawn of the dead are uh, both siege movies in a sense uh, houses or you know a, a mall under siege uh, by zombies um, and in, in Assault on Precinct 13 the original they were basically zombies and VFW they were basically zombies so uh, kind of bridging the two themes together uh, for the summer uh, there is uh, there's quite a few different iterations of Night of the Living Dead um it's been re-released like crazy it actually between the good news is between when we were complaining about how bad all the transfers looked in 2017 and now Criterion has put out like a gorgeous blu-ray of the original Night of the Living Dead um I don't know if you guys knew that uh, which is uh it's amazing at the time we were basically lamenting that we were gonna end up seeing this sort of uh crappy transfer for forever but uh are you guys familiar that there's a bunch of night of the living dead remakes as well that have nothing to do with this i would say the the one thing is every like a couple of times a year criterion will make an announcement that just makes me like gasp and clutch my heart and <laughs> and that was one that year like this movie since not having seen it um <clears throat> excuse me before we did our episode has become very sort of cherished by me so that was that was wonderful um it's awesome and in terms of, like, you know, being aware of the cultural tale of this movie, I mean, you see it cut in constantly, not this movie, the good version of this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> you so often see it, like, cut into other movies, like, you know, the characters are going to, you know, see an old spooky horror movie at the movie theater, and this is the one they could use. Um, but aside from that, I mean, I wasn't really aware of, it looks like there's a bunch of, like, schlocky... <laughs> Like on the cheap remakes when I searched yes. this on on Amazon or whatever, um, and I was not aware of any of those except this one. Well, I mean, yeah, the at, only one I look was... at this. We could have ended up doing the one with Sid Haig from like 2006 or something. <laughs> so like we got the better end of the deal, I think, as far as Night of the Living Dead remakes go. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, do you guys have 3D TVs? I don't have 3D TVs because that one is a 3D movie. <laughs> I, I, in fact, do not have a 3D TV, which, you know, makes me such a pariah in my neighborhood, but I haven't in invested. <laughs> but it's obviously a sign of quality for a film. Correct. Yes, yes. Uh, so there's that one, which got a prequel, um, Night of the Living Dead reanimation. Then in, in 2012, there was one called Resurrection. In 2015, there was one called Darkest Dawn, which is apparently all CGI retelling of the 1968 uh, huh. remake. 
Like I'm just like fucking buy, you know, end of the day, moral of the story, copyright your stuff, folks. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. That's my that is my point. So the, the, the this is the film that George Romero, Tom Savini, uh, John Ru- and then the original uh, co-producers, John Russo and Russ Steiner. Um, <clears throat> this is the movie that uh, that was their attempt to sort of say, OK, they're going to remake because this is the first one that was done. They're going to remake Night of the Living Dead. Let's get in now. Let's see if we can post up on these copyrights and make a legitimate claim. What happened with the original one was there was a, uh, a, a essentially a distro company uh, dropped the ball, didn't put the the, the right uh, copyright on the, the film prints. And um, that's the short version of the story. And uh, so the film got distributed in that fashion. They didn't fight it because they didn't realize for a little bit. Also, they knew that like the distribution was very important. They didn't know that this movie was going to be what it is that they could have made a zillion dollars each off of it. Um, and so they just made kind of whatever money they made from, uh, you know, uh, d- the direct distributor touring around the direct prints from that company, not the knockoffs, not the PBS versions that are, you know, in public domain. Probably 98% of those crappy DVDs you see floating around in like bargain bins and in Walmarts and such. Um, and so this was was their the whole crew's attempt to not only to to get back make a make a, a, a <clears throat> excuse me modernize the concept but keep it roughly what the original was get the remake done for the '90s so to speak or the late '80s um, and then yeah maybe also stake their claim make a little bit of cash off the original. Well, I think there's also uh, an important addition in this production uh, that I don't believe you mentioned, but. Another one of the main producers on it is a uh, Menahem Golan. Yes, yes, which, which I, is th- also... I think is all over this movie <laughs> in certain ways. I have it, no idea who that is. Can you give me some context? Oh yes, have Are you heard you... of a uh, Canon Films Golan? I Lotus? have. Oh yeah, of course. he's one of one of the two uh, producer cousins from from that that, that did Canon Films throughout the eighties and nineties. Interesting. Well, yeah. maybe you should give a quick uh, rundown for the listeners though, because this is that 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 definitely colors things. Um, yeah, so there's basically, there are these two cousins, Golan and Globus, uh, that basically set up Canon Films and began producing all sorts of very cheap, sleazy action movies, as well as doing some more, like, art fair, art house movies and stuff. But basically their whole thing was, uh, get, like, you know, kind of C-list name stars, put them in kind of sleazy, cheap, easy-to-make movies. Uh, while you're making that movie, you sell it to get movie to make your next movie. Um, and they actually became pretty successful until they kind of flew too close to the sun, uh, starting in properties where they had to put more and more money into it and then weren't receiving money back and everything kind of fell apart for them uh, by, like, the early 90s. And, and, it, and it's... It, Canon Films has... Blo- because of the help of other shows, like big shows, like How Did This Get Made? Um, Canon Films has, has emerged quite a bit uh, in, in sort of like 90s uh, cults legend. Um, but uh, the, we covered a bunch of Canon Films early on in the show. Our very first episode, our pilots, basically, that we like didn't release for two years, was uh, us just saying, let's just talk about Superman 4, Quest for Peace. <laughs> Um, because it's an episode that no one wants us to do. And so if we don't release it, you know, it's just our kind of trial pilot, then that's fine. Um, like, they, they, and we did, uh, Ninja 3 Domination. Like, we've done a bunch of movies that they've been associated with. I didn't know until I'd watched this movie for the, you know, the third or fourth time this time that that was, that this was a fucking, uh, 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 well, it's 21st century. It's not a canon films film. Yeah, because it, you know, it's, it's just Golan by himself. 
Yes, yes. Because basically by the late 80s, early 90s, when canon was falling apart, uh, then they kind of separated and started doing their own productions, uh, including, like, simultaneous, like, uh, productions fighting each other. Like, they both uh, came out with, like, uh, Lombada movies <laughs> within, like, the same week. Uh, yeah. racing to get those done because of how big of a fad it was in like 1990. Um, so th- this is like Golan Solo, um, but it still has a bit of that canon flavor. Uh, a, that it seems rather cheap, um, kind of looks like a made for TV movie for some reason, even though it's like a $4 million movie. Uh, and yeah. just a little bit of sleaziness when it comes to, uh, the, the female characters and things. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it certainly does have a, a sort of cheap flimsiness that I find at times, char- at times charming and at times very not charming. But, um, the, the, the other part of the story is that Tom Savini, the director, who's known now mostly as just a special effects god, um, one of those guys who, who, similar to, you know, Rick Baker and St- Stan Winston, um, they, they sort of were, uh, you look back at their uh, their their catalog and you're like, wait, weren't there like a thousand horror dudes making these movies? Like, no, actually, like <laughs> Tom it's like Savini five dudes. Was, <laughs> yeah, Tom Savini was working heavily. He had a ton of and not to take away credit from like his apprentices and the fact that they both they all kind of started shops, so to speak. Tom Savini was working heavily and, and and did the special effects on tons and tons of horror movies. And the most notable probably is that he did the special effects on Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead um here and he had already been buddies with george romero and he also did the special effects on martin but uh he'd he was buddies with george romero when he was making night of the living dead but and he was like set to to work on the special effects or work on the production in some manner i mean they sort of set up like he was going to do special effects he was a kid he might have been doing something else um and uh instead uh he had to go to vietnam and he became a combat photographer in vietnam and he credits that as the moment that he like he truly understood gore that he was he was able to view these horrific events this is sort of his own you know um uh legend making um that he 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 states in interviews but that he was able to sort of uh, view these these horrific events through the distance of a viewfinder and sort of view them from an abstract distance and he was like in a sense it protected me because i could see them as fake but in another sense um you know i spent the rest of my career trying to sort out what the hell i saw in vietnam (laughs) well that's basically the thing he would go to when he says that in interviews it's like i know that if i made an effect that made me feel what i felt being there and seeing that i was doing a good job (laughs) it's 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 pretty gnarly stuff uh on occasion um but yeah so this is sort of weirdly him getting to come back it's him getting to direct for the first time and uh george romero worked on the script and uh John Russo and Russ Steiner got to come back, but um, which really quickly, John Russo was the guy who went off and said, I'm going to make my own Night of the Living Dead riff, which is Return of the Living Dead, which is great, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's him basically going off on his, Ethan, have you seen Return of the Living Dead? I haven't. And I've always been confused, like what, if any relationship it has to this property. It's just, just as legitimate of a one? claim as George Romero, yeah. but it, it's it's just it, it's just as a legitimate cl- claim, and the movies are actually like somewhat respected among horror dorks. They're just way more of like an '80s gloopy sort of, um, you know, uh, '80s kind of party movie. The vibe, mm-hmm. but they're not understand like, the vibe I'm doing. Yes, they're not like a, a sort of canonically related to these, though. 
that's no. the interesting thing they because in the original one in, in re, the first return of the living dead they basically cite uh hey you ever see that movie night of the living dead well it's based on a true story but they fucked up a bunch of stuff here's what's different <laughs> yeah i'm just gonna say it again kids copyright your stuff (laughs) (laughs) so both george went off and he made his more serious dignified you know commentary on society commentaries on society all land of the dead is about 9-11 and the war on terror diary of the dead is about is is youtube and and sort of like internet generation are we being distanced by our phones uh survival of the dead is about old men angry at each other i don't really know um it's just kind I, of a, a western in a way yeah like a classic it's not, western it's story. very interesting um it's a very sleepy no. sleepy kind of zombie movie the, the point i was making is that like they, both these guys kind of went off on their own directions and then rejoined in 1990 and then tom zavini sort of uh you know uh continued with george uh in 1990 and they got here george worked on the script and then george was fucking so popular in the 90s he was so hot like i have a copy of um i I don't know if it's the shining or one of those big like trade paperbacks for stephen king and it says in like the back page like coming soon george romero's the stand dude i had i had the same book and it was always so tantalizing and it it still breaks my heart that we (laughs) never got to see that we got the very milk toast uh garris version yeah (laughs) we got the very limp mick garris version Uh, um but yeah so so that's how we got to the 1990 night of the living dead uh, uh golan was game romero was game everybody was game and then when they got to set savini got jerked around by the producers cut his budget kept uh would it, it would uh, mess with his his sort of um his, his ability to edit with the film and it sounds like it it helped ruin the relationships of a lot of the folks still remaining except for savini and george are still buds after this yeah well and that's the thing too is that even though uh george did he was there in some capacity and worked on the script and everything he wasn't so much there backing savini when the movie was being made so as a first-time director savini did kind of like just have to take what was given to him especially by a producer like golan uh so yeah not a very big budget uh even interviews said like he's kind of come around on the film a bit but he really didn't like talking about it anything for a long time because he said he maybe got like 30 to 40 percent of what he actually was trying to do done in the movie and then the rest he just kind of had to take what was given and roll with the production on it yeah yeah and and and, uh yeah so that's i think we're sort we sort of laid the groundwork here and the the generalities um ethan i understand you have a game for us oh i do um well so uh last time we did a night of the living dead episode uh, i did a a zombie based quiz and i feel like i kind of you know i i I, I squeezed all the juice out of that one. So this time, uh, <laughs> I I have prepared for you a little uh, quiz on remakes. Um, Perfect. You're kicking off the month strong, buddy. That was that was my thought, and my goal this time was to maybe not make the quiz impossible. <laughs> but actually, it, it was fun, so though. enjoyable. Yeah. It was so fun because Marcus and I would narrow it. Down. You had like four multiple choices, and Marcus and I would narrow it down to two, and then. <laughs> We'd always choose the opposite of the correct one, but we'd had it down to the two. Like, we knew of two of them, and two of them, we knew it had to be one of, but yeah, we'd always guess the wrong one. But it was so much fun. Yeah. Well, and that one also, that that really required a lot of uh, creativity from me. Um, And so this time I I went more for just information that you might know. (laughs) 
instead of having to uh, just invent whatever I did, like 75 new zombie premises for that. <laughs> Which were all quite good. They were. I came very close to writing one of them. But anyway, um, wait. Was it? Was it the? Was it the? Uh, uh, um, the 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 uh, prospect zombies. No, I, <laughs> I started fleshing out the idea of like a minor league baseball team. Oh, with uh, the ketchup, right? The tainted ketchup. I, I something like that. But and you know, then the the uh, the crowd gets infected with with zombie disease, and they have to uh, to battle their way out of the field. I thought that was a fun idea. Uh, that, is... that would be so fucking sick, especially with like the you know the the batting cages being like a sort of actual cage, like protecting people, and like there's there's so many fun places you could go because baseball. You're stadiums gonna tempt are very me weird. again. Yeah, baseball stadiums are incredibly weird. The, the I had this whole I had this whole idea with like the the guy playing the organ was gonna you know be able to provide whatever. It's it's a great idea and it's copyrighted by me and nobody can make weird <laughs> shitty offshoots of it forever. <laughs> As I recall, Marcus won uh, last game. On a technicality. On a technicality. So, But I'm just going to use that uh, to say, Marcus, you're going first. Okay, absolutely. So, here we go. Which version of A Star is Born was nominated for more Oscars? Judy Garland or Lady Gaga? I'm going to say Judy Garland. I'm sorry, you're incorrect. I, I was surprised by this too. Lady Gaga's uh, version, well, Bradley Cooper's uh, A Star is Born was uh, nominated for eight Academy Awards and won was one. It, was it eight? Uh, yeah, it was eight. And, wow. and uh, I mean, it was the presumptive best picture for, you know, months and months. And I, you know. But I thought it was just like song, picture, and did he get nominated for director? I don't remember. I mean, she's got actress, I think, and then you know the okay. technical categories. Versus yeah. Judy Garland's version was uh, was nominated six times and and got no wins, which is too bad because it's a, a beloved film. All right, so that's that's um, a, a zero zero for Marcus. Zero. Pete, you're up. Um, so Disney remade Beauty and the Beast, uh, and it, it is famously so faithful that it is it is just kind of reflexively called a shot for shot remake, but it is longer. How much longer is the live-action remake than the animated Beauty and the Beast? Just, just take a guess, and I'm going to give you a five-minute margin of error. Um, eleven minutes. You are so sadly mistaken. It is forty-five minutes longer. The shot-for-shot shot remake. I, w- I would have guessed maybe a half hour. Nope. I mean that makes sense though in the modern because animation takes fucking forever. Like classic animation takes forever to to make. So usually those movies are somewhat short. Um, they usually don't go over 90 minutes. And then uh, on the flip side of that, every fucking big budget Hollywood movie is 45 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes too long now. So I should have just gone with, I should have gone 45 minutes. Admittedly, I haven't seen the remake, so. Keep watching it because, I mean, the original is, it's it's a perfect movie. Like it is kind of, I feel like among the Disney movies that just sort of holds up as like a great piece of filmmaking, storytelling craft and to feel like you needed to pack 45 minutes onto that in addition just to justify people seeing it is is just so depressingly wrongheaded. I was, well, I mean, I was just saying banking. comparatively, like, <laughs> d- does that raise your opinion on this Night of the Living Dead remake a little bit? Well, I mean, fair enough. <laughs> it is not pushing two hours. Yeah. Uh, all right. I like it now. Next question. All right. So, Marcus, mm-hmm. um, I have not seen the movie that this uh, question concerns, so I certainly hope that I'm representing it correctly, but it's a movie that's always fascinated me, 
just up to the point that it would be enough to actually watch it. <laughs> but it hasn't pushed me over the edge. Battle Beyond the Stars. Have you seen this film? I don't think so, actually. Okay. Uh, I'm, if that's... I did, it was over a decade ago, and I don't really remember it. Then I guess that's better, because it makes the question harder. Um, so, <laughs> Battle Beyond the Stars, the sci-fi remake of uh, Seven Samurai, sort of the, you know, Seven Samurai, Magnificent Seven, Battle Beyond the Stars uh, continuum. Um, so, in this film, what accounts for, like, half of the team of, you know, the equivalent of Samurai Cowboys, your your uh, seven avenging heroes, at least like half the team is made up of one kind of thing. Is it robots, clones, Martians, or ghosts? Well, I mean, robots was my first thought. Uh, so let's see. Martians, clones, robots, or what was the fourth one? Ghosts. Ghosts. Oh. Battle Beyond the Stars. Yeah, I think I'm just going to stick with robots because that's what popped into my head first. Uh, Peter, have you seen this movie? <laughs> I have not. <laughs> All right. So, you know, whatever. If it's whatever ghost, I'm I will say, watch it. <laughs> we could just get away with it. Apparently, it's clones. Uh, like, it's, that would have been like my second. Five clones that share one consciousness, which I can't comment on this movie uh, without seeing it. it. That does strike me as a real easy uh, sort of shortcut to round out a whole whole messier seven guys uh, very quickly. So. Yeah, and honestly, if it had been Ghost, I might actually watch that movie, but... Well, isn't that the concept of Ghosts of Mars or whatever? <laughs> I don't know, I just I just presume it's about Ghosts on Mars, I actually have no idea. This question concerns Gus Van Zandt's shot-for-shot uh, -shot remake of Psycho, mm -hmm. um, a movie that, I would argue, terribly unfairly, was nominated for three Razzie Awards. I think that is a movie that has a lot going for it, and is, is a really interesting sort of... Uh, comparison point to night of the living dead as we may get into later my question for you is if gus van zandt psycho was nominated for three razzies and won two of them which one did it lose was it worst actress for anne Heche, worst director for gus van zandt or worst remake i feel like it lost worst remake to another very bad remake uh i'm sorry to tell you it actually tied worst remake uh <laughs> with three uh three remakes where we're tied uh for the worst slot and it it uh lost worst actress for Anne Heche which is weird to say it lost it's it's more that she won uh not being named the worst actress <laughs> that, that is the one I figured it won huh no because I, she... I just figured they would love to shit on Anne Heche no she lost to the Spice Girls which I, I guess they just wanted well, that to is shit on even wrong. worse that is just <laughs> yeah wrong. The Razzies are an interesting thing because you say unfairly received, uh, nominated or unfairly received Razzie. I thought about it a lot and I'm like, I don't know what movies actually deserve, deserve Razzies other than like Cash and Adam Sandler movies. But like those Cash and Adam Sandler movies are movies that even that members of the Razzie voting audience haven't watched. So it's like, it's just this big old circle jerk about what's the worst movie of the year. And like, there's, it's such a pointless contest, but I, I do like the idea that like, and he's just skirted by just just the nick of time because from having to the, because of the spice girls Thank yeah goodness. Uh, i will ask you ethan did you know what the other two movies were that it tied with for for worst remake i do i do uh, i i can tell you that i figured My, one was maybe lost in space no uh oh. that's not not the same year uh i guess i don't have the years mm -hmm. written down for these things but um 
It was not nominated that year, and it clearly would have been because that's not a good movie. <laughs> My take on the Razzies is that they are just the most mean-spirited and useless and <laughs> just awful practice. Yeah. But they serve as sort of a fascinating, just like any weird like Teen Choice Awards or, or whatever, MTV you know movie awards. They become very quickly this fascinating time capsule of like random cultural detritus of a year. So, for example, we can say that that uh, Gus Van Zandt won Worst Director, beating out uh, the future Criterion Collection uh, choice, Michael Bay for Armageddon, <laughs> and uh, and Psycho won uh, Worst Remake uh, in a three way tie with Godzilla and uh, the Avengers, the remake of like the the <sighs> old British show, the Uma Thurman Sean Connery thing. Yes, mm-hmm. so it was it was a real boom time for bad <laughs> remakes that year. <laughs> Um, all right, last question. So, Marcus, yes, you are still the de facto champion because we are nice. still it's it's still because uh, we are zero. horrible at your games. <laughs> um, I don't know whose fault that is. <laughs> so, I, I assume it's ours because you you are a very good quiz master. So here's what we're gonna do. For, so this is the final round, and you're it's your turn, and you're in the lead. So if I'm I'm gonna give you the choice to either play or pass this question. So it's and, mine to lose, really. Basically, so if you pass this and Peter gets it right, then he is going to win automatically. Uh-huh. And if you play it and you get it wrong, you're going to lose automatically. Oof. And we're, it's going to be a huge hit for you in your social life, so you want to take this very seriously. This is going to be on the internet, which is... This might give me a social life. Oh, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> so you're going to play or pass this last question? Ah, uh, well, and I, ooh, and there's nothing to tell me if I should or not. Um, well, given how poorly we've both done so far at this, as much as I kind of want, you know what, since I won the last time, I, yes, I will play it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, let's just see how this goes. I, I feel like this question might be easier than the others, but we'll see. All right. So I'm going to give you a quote from a New York Times uh, review with the name of the movie redacted, and you need to tell me what uh, remake we're talking about. Okay. <laughs> After Wally and I Am Legend and the dozens of apocalypse flicks since the last X, we can surely do better. Even Keanu Reeves looks bored and distracted. Still, any movie that awards a former Monty Python cast member a Nobel Prize cannot be all bad. <sighs> okay, I do think I know what film this is. I am rooting for you so hard. <laughs> So I'm assuming the day the earth stood still. You are correct. Okay. Yes. Hooray. <laughs> Yay. I mean, yeah, it was kind of placing it in that time period, but I, for some reason that just made me think of this other Keanu Reeves movie from more recently. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ethan, for bringing that, bringing that to us. Uh, just as much fun as last time and just as confounding. And then when I got the answer wrong, I'm like, yeah, I should have known that. So that's the perfect quiz. So guys, uh, so guys, I think we're we're approaching the sort of uh, the turnover point where we're gonna talk about the movie in earnest. Um, but uh, we're gonna talk about yeah, Ernest. We're gonna talk about Ernest. I, I have to not say in earnest because I think of Ernest P. Worrell every single time. How do you how do you think we're doing? Are we are we doing all right without Aaron? I mean, honestly, think about the last episode and now it's just the chemistry flows. Everything just flows smoothly. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I really think it's it, there's there's a real like electricity in the air with this. And I, I really think we should be we should be chasing this uh, this high. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm with you for your idea to do this. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. Which, by the way, uh, so I, I did. I got excited of this whole idea of like, hey guys, let's you know do a reunion up. We we did this a couple of years ago. It'll be fun. Yeah, you know, the Aaron, boys are Aaron back in town. Able, yeah, Aaron won't be able to join, so we'll just kind of you know do a retread, a remake, if you will, to go along with the theme. Uh, yes. And I was excited, so yeah. I prepared a little for this. I've re-listened to our episode. Great, just like this one has been so far. Great. Uh, Ethan is incredibly interesting and has so many valid points. Pete, you're a great host and an interviewer and keep the conversation going. Uh, obviously, we have a natural chemistry that just kind of, it, it's, it fizzles on the track. Um, but then I didn't realize that a little, like a year and a half later, almost two years later, uh, at the end of last year, that Aaron did his own Night of the Living Dead podcast. Yeah. Um, so... So I just kind of have to ask both of you uh, for for different reasons, but are you I am guys so terrified okay? of what is about to happen. I'm just, are you guys okay? Because Ethan, it sounded like you got bullied throughout that episode uh, to just kind of go along with the madness that Aaron was sinking into. Uh, I'm not sure if he threatened your family. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you just like feel like a weird, you know, child caught in a divorce or something. Uh, and, and Peter, I'm, I'm starting to think that maybe you wanted to do this episode just because you, you've kind of been scared of the path that Aaron's been going down and just kind of wanted to remember what it's like to have a fun episode. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I was telling him, I like, you know, I remember this movie being really good and, and, you know, even, even though like I, I didn't really, um, I wasn't a huge fan of it this time. Like he was just like, no, no, it sucks. It sucks. And I was like, watch it again. And he watched it again. He didn't like it. And it was, you know, it was just, he was, he was really just stepping on, uh, you know, uh, my excitement for it. And and I I just figured, you know, why not just do the episode anyway? Get, get some people together, some, some like-minded folks, um, get off some people that are not like-minded, um, that kind of thing. Well, uh, speaking of of uh, Aaron's mind, uh, how I, obviously I I haven't been listening to the show since the last time I was on because, mm-hmm. as we all know, Aaron's voice is kind of grating. It's hard to listen to. <laughs> uh, he he bullies everyone around him. Uh, but listening to to uh, the episode that that Ethan did with him, uh, it's basically just listening to someone having a meltdown in real time, like just. I, I didn't know someone could have so many insecurities. Uh, well, about I would their own I show. would say the one thing is that wasn't really like technically in real time because the the record was like seven or eight hours, but with all the crying that he had to cut out, it, it yeah it came down to about forty five minutes. Yeah, yeah, it, it was very quick. Uh, obviously, it made a clean forty five. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, is that when I, I listened to the episode and started thinking about it, he did that what two years after we recorded our episode. Uh, so was he just yeah. sitting and stewing about the fact that I, I co-hosted an episode without him that turned out really well for two years? And then not only felt like he had to do his own and drag Ethan into it and bully him into doing that, uh, but he did this whole thing where it was an extravaganza and he had like 10 different co-hosts. What extravaganza about? Um, so it's like he had 10 different co-hosts, which were all people you've had as guests before, but I kind of got the feeling that he couldn't get anyone to be the co-host other than Ethan by, like I said, possibly threatening his family. Um, so I think like he just took 
uh, clips of when these people had been guests on your show in the past and edited them in to make it seem like he had all these friends that wanted to co-host the, the special episode with him uh, when really only being able to uh, coerce Ethan into doing it uh, it's very much seemed against your will. Uh, and it just really seems like he's losing it. And honestly, I'm kind of starting to get scared as to how he will react to this episode, which of course will obviously turn out great as they tend to do yeah. when he's not yeah, here and I great. am. Yeah, and I'm gonna have to edit all this out. Pro- well, well, yeah, no, this yeah, is private time. This is this, this is probably. private conversation. Just you know, be- back behind the scenes of the podcast. This doesn't have to be in the episode, yeah. obviously. But it's just you know, before we take a break, it's good to get like all of our heads together, just see how everyone's feeling. You know, I was, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I was a little, a little insecure about how we were going to push forward. Um, and well, I just, I, mean, I just want to say, Marcus, for my part, just to to sort of explain myself a little bit. Um, whoever's talking to me at any given time, I want them to like me and think that I'm doing a great job. So that's kind of like how I come at the world is just like big smile, be nice to me. So that's why Aaron <laughs> likes you so much is because you stroke his extremely fragile ego that obviously Peter just can't handle doing anymore. And it works out great for me because if I if I really make sure all the time that everybody likes me and everybody's having a really good time and thinks I'm great, then things just really flow naturally and easily. And, and you know, it's it's just the best way to move through life is with this sort of like coiled fist of desperation in you at all times. So it's just in case you would think that I like didn't want to be doing what I was doing. It's not the case. Okay, I just, again, I was concerned uh, for both of you. I wanted to make sure your family was safe. I wanted to make sure that, Peter, your mental health has been okay. And you I think you can hear my down. infant son crying in that episode. Yes, um, yes, you can. Think uh, nothing I, of that. <laughs> okay, okay. Just wasn't sure if Aaron maybe was in the same room, uh, poss- possibly uh, holding some kind of weapon towards your child. I don't know. Uh, but he just seemed like he was kind of losing touch with reality. And I just want to make sure that we're all good. Everyone's happy. This is just a fun reunion episode. The point is a lot of rumors are out there and, and we can't verify the facts of any of them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can verify that when I went to his house, he does have the Mr. Mr. Happy mask, the wooden mask. It sort of looks like a samurai mask, but it's, it's just a happy face with a big 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 cheeks painted on you know rosy cheeks and he says when he's not feeling like happy air and he puts on the mask and he's happy air oh this got so dark <laughs> so when we come back from break um we're going to uh we're going to discuss the plot of uh, the night of the living dead 1990 remake and we're gonna we're gonna dig into what works and what doesn't so you marcus ethan uh you know uh, friends of the show uh hosts of the show uh <laughs> you guys ready for that so ready. Hell yeah. So ready. Whatever the future holds for us, I just can't wait to find out. <laughs> well, and you know what? Whatever the future holds, it's going to be great. And what matters is we're better. in this together. Exactly. <laughs> Someone said we're whack. Why would they say that? I don't think we're whack. Who said we're whack? Who said we're whack? I can't believe that. They must be smoking crack to say that we're whack. Say that we're whack? You probably get smacked. If you said we're whack, did you say we're whack? Ethan, I understand you have some alternate taglines for us as well. a uh, <laughs> as a helpful uh, co-host of this show. It's really nice for you to bring some of those to us. Well, I mean, it's just it's kind of cynical, but just uh, you know, a few minutes into this movie, it, it just seemed to me the tagline is "Night of the Living Dead." Remember Night of the Living Dead? That again. <laughs> 
Or what if, remember Night of the Living Dead? What if it had no sense of mood, tone, or aesthetics? I have one. They don't usually put uh, slam reviews on the poster. Well, you got to be honest about, you know, what people are going to get. Or they're going to sue you for, uh, you know, misrepresentation. Marcus, what's yours? Yeah, I I have one that's a little bit more positive. Uh, It's Night of the Living Dead, but this time Barbara is a character. Uh, We're going to get into it. All right, go on. (laughs) I got one seller. I hardly know her. (laughs) They're always talking about seller. Do you guys call your? Do you guys call uh, you know the the sub level of a of a house a cellar, a basement, uh, a, a tomb, a uh, da- room? That's daddy's space. <laughs> that's for daddy. It's, it's called a basement. It's, well, I think it depends on what uh, condition it's in and what it contains. Because mostly, yeah, it would be a basement. But you know, if it's mostly like wood and and dirt, uh, that's more of a cellar. Yeah, but they, they and also like obviously a fruit cellar would would presumably have some sort of fruit in it. This know? is why people mash the download button on the Night of the Living Dead episode. <laughs> <laughs> so ninety second recap, uh, Marcus. Do you want to? Uh, you have your phone handy. You want to give me ninety seconds? You want me to do it myself? Uh, I mean, yeah, I can do it. I mean, anyone can do it. Uh, you seen <laughs> Night of the Living Dead? It's that. Oh, I <laughs> sorry. I wanted you to re- to do ninety seconds on your phone to record this, so you can stop me harshly if I go over ninety seconds. I, he he wanted you to to run the stopwatch. Oh, yeah. I thought he just said to do the ninety second recap. All right, Pete, uh, I've yeah. got I've got my stopwatch going. All right, I, one. I, I I use painful shorthand. <laughs> one, two, three, go. Uh, Night of the Living Dead. If you've seen the original movie, it's essentially the same plot. Uh, <clears throat> Barbara is visiting the grave of her uh, dead mother, unlike dead father in the original, uh, with her brother. Brother gets killed by a zombie. She runs off into the woods. She meets up with a Ben. Ben and her hide up in a farmhouse. Uh, they uh, sort of batten down the hatches to lay, are under siege from zombies. Then they find out, oh shit, there's two couples and a kid in the basement. Uh, they come upstairs, a conflict immediately erupts between, uh, Cooper, uh, who's a white racist dude, and Ben, who's a black guy who's pretty damn reasonable, and, uh, they start yelling at each other, whatever, the inner, inner, inner house conflict, the inner house conflict tears the house down, uh, Barbara wants the men to just shut the fuck up and work together, uh, eventually the men so horribly fuck up their planning, uh, that, uh, the, one of the couples dies, Barbara goes off on her own, uh, to try and find help. She finds help in the help of all these, these, uh, rednecks. Rednecks come to the house, Ben's dead, everyone's dead, um, the house has been fully raided by zombies, um, and, uh, so then in the final moment, she gets revenge on Cooper for being such an asshole by shooting him in the head, uh, as the rednecks party on, uh, outside the house and the farmland and treat this big old zombie massacre as a party you're doing fine anything else you want to talk about like <laughs> you burned through i'm that. surprised you I stretched got... it that long all right done that's 90 seconds <laughs> honestly yeah, Peter, i, I kind of wish like for a the... package tonight gonna get some clothes in the mail i don't know who's gonna see me in those clothes but well but the the thing about that that recap is it really effectively sums up the experience of the movie because you didn't bother characterizing anybody you were just like <laughs> and then then she sees ben you know ben it's is like a ben type and so they go inside <laughs> <laughs> he, he is very much a Ben type, but honestly, Peter, for the episode, I would have loved it if when you started the 90 second recap, it just cut out and you just played your 90 second recap from the last episode. I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, oh shit. Is everything okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Aaron's, 
Aaron's calling me, man. Ignore it. I mean, yeah, it's our normal just recording obviously, time. Just, Maybe he's just bored or lonely. You're going to throw off this whole thing we've got going on. Yeah, yeah we I, got yeah, a rhythm going. Right. Let's just start again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll just do the 90-second recap again. <laughs> start the stopwatch again. Uh, yeah, I, I don't... I, I, I don't know what to do here. Does he? Do, he doesn't like to be told no. At a certain point, you're gonna have to assess whether this is the sort of dynamic you're comfortable with in your relationship, or if you know if if this is is gonna have sort of a productive path forward between the two of you, or, or if something needs to change. And also, yeah, Peter, I, like your whole vibe just changed. Like your voice sounds kind of shaky now, like quivering almost. What do you mean? I, I just, I'm just saying, we were up, we had energy, we were getting into it, we were all excited, uh, and yeah, yeah uh, it, you changed all of a sudden. I remember having having fun in the before times, <laughs> but I feel like we had a good hour of this, like a good fun hour. To, are you let's saying just, it has to end now? We could just say, let's just see what he has to say. So, like, man, it's it's your show. It's I I like when people look at me to, for them to feel good things. So do 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 what you're gonna do. By the way, Peter, okay. Aaron knew that we were doing this episode, right? Uh, no, no, no. He uh, well, he stopped. He stopped calling. He stopped calling. Um, he he at, he at the beginning of the episode, you said that he wasn't into the movie, so you were just like, oh, I'll just do a reunion episode with the the guys from last time. It'll be fun, right? I kind of told him that we weren't recording anymore. Yeah, he's gonna see you on Skype. Like, he doesn't check constantly to see if you're on Skype with someone else. You have made a mess, you and you're gonna have to sleep in this bed you've made now. I could, I was gonna make a Zoom account, but he now, now he has my Gmail, so if I make a new account anywhere... Oh yeah, he sees it. She's the alert. Hey, you set up a new account. Hey, you need to reset your password. He gets those push notifications to his phone. <laughs> yeah, let's let him in. Let's let's not make it worse than it you've is. You've just you've really created a, a pretty depressing portrait here, Peter. I, I hope you, that you know this. You you know this is going to be distributed publicly, right? <laughs> do Do you need to like to have a minute with him, kind of like ease him into what's oh, going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you guys Why don't you guys just be really quiet when he comes in, and we can pretend like it's it's just me. And then I can pretend like I'm letting you guys into the call. So sort of like hi, sort of like a like a hide in the basement vibe. Yeah, hide in the basement, and then it'll just be us. Okay, I'm just um, we're, we're I'm gonna call we're, him. We're, we're gonna getting call into him. a web of lies. That's this is that's the only way to get out of the web of lies is keep making webs. <laughs> <laughs> make a make a different make a different web to jump into. Get out of that web, and then you get out of that web with a different web to the other web. Uh, Ethan gets it. Anyways, I'm calling him. Hey, 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 Aaron. How are you doing, man? Hey, yeah, I tried to call a couple yeah, times. Yeah, sorry, um, I was... Like yeah, seven sorry, or eight. Was, uh, you know me, <laughs> long bathroom breaks. Yeah, but it's... Uh, <laughs> said you were on a call. I thought we had talked about, like, under under most circumstances, like, we, we're Skype buddies. We're Skype partners. It's part of our podcast if you're going to be on a, if you're gonna be on a call, uh, even if it's not We Love to Watch related. Like, you know, just let me know. Yeah, the two Skype Uh No, I, I wasn't... I was... Uh, yeah, I just got off a call with some um my parents my dad's um and they uh they they got off i mean i have their number like why wouldn't you just call them on the phone like i call them on the phone check up so um, i just want to make sure they didn't get any older. Uh, why why would you call them on skype um 
You guys both have apples. You have FaceTime. Anyways, uh, what if well, if you got done with your parents on your Skype call? Uh, I know we decided not to record Night of the Living Dead tonight, but it is the night. It's Tuesday. It's the night we normally record. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, you know we have a couple other movies banked. We're kind of getting ahead of stuff. So you wanna you wanna record something else? Uh, I mean you'll you'll get to talk thirty three percent less because of the demerits that you've earned from talking on Skype without me. But uh, you can still participate in some. Capacity yeah. So 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 I actually I uh, I I figured uh, I you know Marcus and Ethan and I they were they wanted Who? to talk about Night of the Living Dead and I figured you know if you you've seen the movie now so you can talk about it some and. Um, let me let me just call wait, them. Let me wait. just call them and see if they're available. Is that okay? Why would we call them? First of all, I've told you no more Marcus on the show. Been very clear, yeah. like very very yeah. clear. Uh, and Ethan, I you know most of the booking that I do with Ethan is done through uh, single chats after after that last time. So uh, <laughs> he probably won't even answer your messages. I mean, he loves you. He's a big fan of the show. But yeah, let's uh, let's call Ethan only from my phone. Uh, I- uh, hold on. Let me... Looks like he's online, too. That's kind of weird. Um, uh, I keep getting a busy signal. Like Oh, oh hello. I'm on the call now for the, um, to hey. the first for the first time I'm here tonight. Hi, guys. That's Ethan. First, that's, first that's, time that he's in the chat. I mean, that's, def- that's definitely that's definitely. That's how Ethan. I talk. I mean, I... Either if anyone knows how you talk, it's me. I've taken all your voice recordings and sent them through a lot of different computers and psychoanalysis. Uh, and so, yeah, I know how you talk, which is why I'm a little concerned about your tone right now, uh, based on all that. Hey, how's how's it going, man? What's well, good, good? That's good. Let's Any let's chance? Keep, let's build off this energy. So good, yeah. What? Well, it's good. Okay, yeah, no, it's it's good. I told Peter specifically that I didn't want to talk about Night of the Living Dead because we're doing good horror remakes, and I didn't really. Oh, like I'm movie. I'm on the same so, page with you, man. Yeah, bad bad. Why'd you picture. watch it? Oh, uh, fun reasons. Like, do you watch it often? Uh, all the time. Yeah, no, a lot, a lot, all a lot of the time. You watch the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead. All the time. A lot. A lot of the time, I do spend watching it. Mm-hmm. Who was the best boy? The best boy was because um, when I see movies more than three times, I memorize all the credits. It was uh, Titsmith. <laughs> Is that their first or last name? Mm-hmm. Titsmill. Titsmith. First last name. <laughs> Titsmill. Titsmith. Go look sure, it up. I mean, look it up. Yeah, but I, the whole point is that I like. Look, it's the first week of the month. Peter and I very clearly agreed, as we talked about it, that like this is not the movie to kick off the month with. We should kick it off with something good, something fun, you know. Uh, I'm sure Ethan, like you're a your family man, like I am. You care about your family as 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 one does. Uh, I assume that you agree that we should talk about something better. Yeah, um, you remember there was that like there was the like network TV remake of Carrie in like the '90s that was like 15 hours long or something. That would be good. That's your other horror remake that you're bringing to the table, Ethan. Well, that's the other that's... The 1997 television version of Carrie. Yeah, that's the other one. Oh, Ethan, Ethan, I know my my young my young little boy. I'll protect you from the world and the amount of horror <laughs> that's, remakes. That's all I've been looking for for all this time. 
yeah. And like I said, I'll keep you and your family safe. Uh, all right. Thank well, you. Peter, I guess the only thing that Ethan has has watched is Night of the Living Dead. So I guess we can we can start. Yeah. Um, yeah. You want to do a countdown? Yeah. <clears throat> well, before we count down, I I well, I know you don't you don't want. Can you just do the six, five, four, all that stuff? Three, two, one. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm Ethan Warren. Just Ethan. I'm Pete. Moran. I don't know if you're nervous or something, but and like, I'm guys, guys, no. guys, guys. Let's let's stop this. Let's stop the charade. Hello, Aaron. The charade is up. Uh, hmm. I just I I couldn't listen to him abuse and threaten you two anymore. Like it, it's it's getting scary. It's getting scary, guys. Marcus, why are you on this call? I in, I invited him. Yeah, Peter wants to tell him tell him what was going on. Did you also watch 1990s Night of the Living Dead? That seems really unlikely. <laughs> yeah, I I watched it uh, just just recently actually. Uh, I was I was asked to. I mean, I do most of the booking. So, did your <laughs> girlfriend, parents? Uh, uh, well, the turtle, pet turtle that you keep. Probably, Pete. Based on your psychological profile, you want, you want to uh, you want to take this one, Pete? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Marcus. We we brought you on to to tell to say how silly you are for thinking Night of the Living Dead is a good movie, <laughs> right, Aaron? That's what we brought him on for, Peter. You remember when we talked about that, <laughs> Peter? <clears throat> enough, enough. Um, you don't have yeah, to so- be afraid anymore. So, Aaron, um, I had them both on, and we were talking about Night of the Living Dead, the 1991, not, not the one with Sid Haig that's in 3D, and then has a, a prequel, so it's like a prequel. Before I, I don't think this is from 1991, Peter, and that's why you need me. Yeah. It's the misstatements. It's the it's 1991. The it's like all the, the mispronunciations you always do. One, okay. I think it's from 1990. Yeah, it's from 1990. It's the 1991, the 1990 <laughs> movie. Guys, who's on first, motherfuckers? So I just want to get this straight. You... I was hoping if I swore it would distract everybody and I could leave. (laughs) (laughs) You're in a different... You're in a different state from us. You can just leave at any time. (laughs) Actually, Peter, Peter, can you leave? Like... Can and and should are two different questions, Marcus. I'm I'm just... Sorry. Sorry, I wasn't listening because other people were talking. Um... (laughs) Really quickly, so look, Peter, you yeah. are co-owner of the podcast. Thank you. Um, not happy about it. Thank you. But I am being recorded. So based on that, I think we go ahead. We got Marcus on. We got Ethan on. You said my name. You know, maybe for the last time. <laughs> maybe not. We'll discuss it and come to a mutual agreement, much like uh, a lot of things. So fine. We started the call. Let's kick us off. Let's start the episode. Yeah, we're starting the episode. I'm Ethan Warren. (laughs) Ethan. And I love to watch. (laughs) Ethan, what did I tell you? Do it in the fucking right order. This is on my special Ethan mic that only Ethan can hear. Marcus, did it get really quiet in here? Uh, I've left it active since we recorded that other episode. Vibes changing. Vibes changing. Um, so are you Aaron- gonna do the countdown <laughs> to start the episode? All right, let's yeah. do like uh, Ethan's a great game master. We can do a game. Yeah, we can do all that stuff. We'll count down from thirty-eight, and when I get to three, 
we all count down together. I mean, normally I would say that's ridiculous, but you first you changed it from beeps, and now you're just adding more numbers. You do whatever you want with the count. I told you, pre-show, you own it. Hey, you guys ready? I owe post-endurance. 38. 37. 36. I I can't do this anymore, Aaron. I can't go beyond 35. I don't know what happens after that. We already did the first half of this episode, okay? We already did it. So the first half, that means probably you're thinking about taking a break. I already went to the bathroom, too, actually. And Ethan did, too. Ethan, which one did you Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. You're telling me you went to the bathroom without texting me while I was probably also going to the bathroom about how this peach turned into a poop? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I'm saying that we were both looking up at the same stars, but I was looking at better stars than you were. Such a fucking California answer. You probably got a starry bathroom. (laughs) Stars up everywhere. Oh, I'm from San Diego. (laughs) Stars in my bathroom. Uh, Okay, so where are we at? That was just the only time I've had stars in my bathroom is when I uh, ate that glitter bomb. I just wanted to see what would happen. Still just gl- Peter, do you see what happens to you when Aaron is around? Like, do do you see what happens to your energy, your enthusiasm, your jokes? Like, just look, Marcus. I need you to stop talking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I, I say that as a friend. Look, it's fine, Peter. Obviously, this is say that like, as a friend. I say well, <laughs> that's the yeah. kind of friend he is, and I'm trying to get you two to realize that. <sighs> Look, I say that as a friend, like John Wayne Gacy had friends. <laughs> I'm sure he did have friends. He did? You think he was friendless? He had friends until they crossed him. Yeah, so here's what I'm thinking. Obviously, Peter, this is an enormous betrayal, and I'm going to kind of pout my way through the rest of this episode. But uh, it's my week to edit, so uh, Marcus, you can stay on. Thank you. Uh, all you need to do is just send me your address. Because uh, um, we have to. That's uh, well, actually, it's let's totally do this. normal, Marcus. It's, it's what he I, does to everyone. Uh, Dropbox has been down for quite a long time, like a few years. So if you could just send your track in via mail and make sure you do your return address, because the last thing we would want um, is to lose a track. Uh, and then, yeah, if I don't like the things anyone says, let's just get rid of it. So I mean, um, I just moved to a new place. Actually, uh, I kept getting very threatening see here you hear all this the letters because marcus is talking packages but it's fine like we'll keep the peace for now ethan you know i know where you live uh but yeah let's where are we at so yeah i don't care for this movie uh yeah none, none, of, none, of, none of us do uh why is Marcus here now? <laughs> Are we gonna do like a power ranking this of, is of like, who this is like this middle ditch and Swartz where you guys constantly rotate your characters? <laughs> so let me tell you what I like about let me tell Figure you Figure out how scared you are of me and stick to it. Let me tell you well, what I like about. Now you're yelling and trying to get my address. <laughs> God. No, I'm yelling because you guys are are displaying different levels of fear <laughs> at different times, and I'm having trouble keeping track of who's more scared of me. <laughs> It's fun to be scared, but the uh, let me. That's why we love horror movies. Yeah, yeah. So let me, let me, uh, let me <laughs> try and set this up. I want the reason I like this movie and the reason I wanted to do this movie is because even though I think it's just kind of uh, now that I've seen it again, I think it's just kind of like a three and a half out of five kind of movie. I think what it does with the original Night of the Living Dead is really interesting. What it does with the Barber character is really interesting. The fact that it's written by George Romero again is really interesting. Um, 
So what'd you guys make of the Barbara thing? Because I love, I love they had, uh, you know, Barbara works as a, as a function in the original movie um, because there's, you know, man of action and Ben and then Barbara is just like PTSD rattled. She's not just like a cog that can be neatly placed into the, the machinery. But when they were making a new one, it, it's kind of nice to have like Barbara retain her, her, her role as the protagonist uh, and to stay uh stay within the, the the bounds of the movie as somebody a person of action because in the original the living dead famously she gets the to the house after you know basically they clear the house for the very first time ben takes the movie from her um so what would you guys make of the whole barbara thing because that's obviously the thing that's that's changed most drastically from the original the script is the, the script in terms of structure is pretty damn similar um but the Barbara angle is really what's different here. So really quickly, um, I should note that I had a pretty okay memory of this going in and then ended up feeling like, oh, yeah, no, this isn't very good. Uh, I will think it's very it's very suspicious, Peter, that when you were saying there's things I like about this movie and you said they do a better job with Barbara's character and then your next and only other example was uh, something that just happened behind the scenes that doesn't occur in the movie, which is that George A. Romero also kind of came back and changed stuff. And I guess that is my ultimate um, <laughs> problem with the movie, which is uh, that, like, the Barbara stuff is better, but I think almost everything else is worse like ben's way worse the social message is i don't think way ben worse. Is, i, I don't think ben is way worse at all yeah i don't think ben is worse i actually think that cooper's ben and barbara's chemistry cooper's way worse but i think uh ben and barbara's chemistry is a lot better in this one like they get oh, yeah. more to do and play off of each other i think uh that those two actors work really well together and have more of a relationship as opposed to the original which again i i love both those actors as well but i think like as characters there's a bit more going on between them and a, a bit more for them to play around with in the movie ethan uh-huh please back me up on my secret special microphone that only talks to you okay <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I have a perspective on the Barbara thing, but it's kind of like it, it connects to kind of my overarching just perspective on this whole project. You say, like, what do you what do you think of the like Barbara being turned into a more active protagonist and ending up, um, you know, she has a character arc and a trajectory that that is interesting. And my whole response is like, OK, um, like th th that's not something that really bothered me about the first movie that Barbara kind of drifts away it's it it is even kind of uh, something i like about that movie is is how sort of weird and yeah, it kind of has a pro it has a protagonist switch yeah and it's it's got this weird sort of shambling structure to it and this is it, it, i was bothered by a lot of the changes as i was watching them happen and then you sit with them for a few minutes and you think okay that like works with quotes around it this is now a story that quotes around it works better than than the previous version but in the bargain, you've lost everything that, that I love about the previous version, which was so much about the aesthetics of it. And this is just a movie with with no um, aesthetic sensibility to it for my, you know, from my perspective. And 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 that was just a sadness to me. <laughs> like, I, you yeah. know, I, I don't yeah. need Barbara to be an action hero, I guess. And if, if that's your significant innovation, eh, you know, keep it. <laughs> 
Well, so yeah, and Ethan, thank you, Ethan, thank you for saying that. Even though I don't know whether you agree with it or not, I do agree with thank you my for having thoughts. my back. <laughs> I don't know how much to keep this going with with legitimate discussion of. <laughs> it's really hard to segue uh, back, back from, isn't it? Really, really quickly, because I don't want to move past the Tony Todd part. Because I love Tony Todd, I do think they make Ben worse, and I do think that they make. Um, and I think they make a lot of characters worse. Like this, this movie's move, which is a very '90s thing compared to '60s, is like, hey, what if everyone just like shows how intense the situation is by I don't know, yelling constantly. <laughs> so Tony Todd is constantly in this like heightened like, Janet, what is? It's just and but it's that's like how everyone you know, is in the, the original too. Like everyone in the it, it, I don't it's just, I don't think so. I just rewatched the, the intensity, original. right? Like Tony Todd's intensity, I think, really works in this movie because he has like a human grounded intensity and a yelling. But uh, Tom Towles, who plays Cooper, who's an actor I like in other movies, um, he's uh, he, he's a good sort of uh, uh, you know. <laughs> character actor tough guy he's in like henry portrait of a serial killer and stuff he, yeah. he plays good performances um but he's really he's he's the he's the the rotten core of this movie his performance he's he is what you're talking about aaron he is like so no i know i think he's i think i'm so talking about crazy. tony todd too and i don't think tony todd is that way at all i think tony todd is a very I, relatable very human sort of reaction to stuff which is like people are yelling i'm gonna yell but he's yelling not like he's in a stage production and he needs to be as loud as possible so he reaches the people in the back he's yelling he's like this is the literally the only way my voice is gonna get heard tom towels is yelling like he's in a, he's in like this this like uh he's like i need everyone to know i'm an asshole and i need him to know right now <laughs> well and that's the thing it's basically those three main characters no, because the two younger kids too, like, but they're nothing. They, they in the basically original take the either, bar. Really. Yeah, I know, but it's like their only move is just ye- yelling and screaming, and it makes this like louder. So, really quick, just because, like, my thesis on this movie, and I think this actually works for a thesis for the month, and since I was very meanly not given the opportunity to say it early because I wasn't invited, I will just say that my my take on this is that like. And the reason that Peter and I, when we were still friends, wanted to do this month was because um, that there is a lot of horror remakes of, like, classic horror horror movies. And some of those classic horror movies, we're going to do The Blob. I think the original Blob is a huge piece of shit. Uh, that's my take on the original Blob. It's not very good. I like seeing Steve McQueen. There's some nice special effects. It is, like, the longest 90 minutes I've ever seen in my entire life. The, the the 80s remake is so much better in every possible way. But I do think if you're talking – like, if you go through, like, classic monster cinema, 1957's Blob is going to get talked about. And 1988's Blob might be if you're in a super culty book but not in, like, a mainstream perspective. So obviously you can improve on quote-unquote classic horror. But I also think that you can make uh, legitimately entertaining movies out of perfect horror films. Like, The Thing – uh, is which we're not doing this month is a really good example of a perfect horror film that the remake of that I think is the remake sort slash prequel but it's I mean it's kind of it's really a remake like I think that is a three three and a half star movie that makes that its hook of being a prequel and showing what happens to the Norwegians and some other stuff make that a uh, compelling movie and then adding some twists. On the formula that we know. And then there's some remakes that we're going to talk about this month that that widely diverge 
from their source material enough to at least give you like, hey, I it's giving me something new. The problem I have with Night of the Living Dead uh, is that it basically is a perfect movie. I don't think most people on podcasts or listening would say like, hey, Night of the Living Dead, five-star movie. It blew me away when I first saw it about like 10, 15 years ago. And I wasn't expecting to be blown away by a by a black and white movie. Um, I think the when it settles into its gore and scare moments the last 20 minutes, it is truly shocking to this day because you just don't expect that. The black and white, we've talked about that before on the show, lures you into a false sense of security. And Night of the Loving Dad splashed that all over. It has an amazing ending. All that kind of stuff. Like It is perfect in most ways, I think. And so to make a remake that, uh, even though it was written by George Romero, that whittles down a lot of those edges. And then, like, for its, like, changes, it's like, what if uh, killing Ben is actually the right thing for everyone to do in that moment because he's a zombie? And what if Barbara becomes a badass but then doesn't change enough to, like, say, now we're commenting on the 90s or now we're changing the structure enough? It, like, just what ends up happening is that it's the same movie with slightly worse decisions or big, terrible decisions, in my opinion. So, like, if it would have gone much different, and I'm sure you guys didn't talk about some of the other remakes that we've never seen, but if it would have taken it in a different direction or really tried to subvert it or been like, we need, in the same way that The Night of the Living Dead of the 60s was talking about racism and a lot of other stuff, we need to talk about the issues of the 90s. And I, I think that would have been more compelling. And maybe if we saw Tom Savini's original vision, that would have done. So, sorry, that is that is my longish uh, I don't know why I said sorry. That doesn't fit with everything I was saying <laughs> earlier. Um, scratch that. I'm not sorry. I'm happy if you guys uh, were annoyed by that. Uh, but but I do think that that is like where I'm coming from when it comes to this movie, and like why, in my my uh, opinion, that uh, my personal opinion that this doesn't quite work for that kind of like uh, a, a horror remake that is. Worth watching in its own capacity, as opposed to this, where, honestly, if anyone was like, should I check out the 1991, I would be like, the only reason I would ever recommend this to someone is like, oh, will you have a visceral hate towards black and white films, but want to get the stories so you can watch Dawn of the Dead? Yeah, I guess. Sure. Watch this one. <laughs> that is that is the, the exact reason to watch this movie, is if you just cannot stand the idea okay, of watching so, a movie that's in black so and white. So, guys... Honestly, I'm not really going to overly defend this movie because you both bring up a lot of good valid points in it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is. And because I'll edit you out. Uh, and of course that as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I knew Ramiro came back to write it. It was just kind of like an updated version. Obviously wasn't saying as much, but was just kind of doing another version of it. Um, I do kind of have a question in thinking about it, though, because as a Tom Savini movie or movie with Tom Savini effects, this is actually pretty tame compared to a lot of his work. There's not a whole lot of like really great special effects work going on in here. I'm not sure if that's so much that he didn't have the budget or time to do some of that stuff or if he was just trying to tame it down and just do a more straightforward film. Do you think it would have been more interesting or better if Tom Savini had kind of gone full like balls to the wall or more crazy with the effects or taking it to a more uh gory side as opposed to just doing more of a straight up yeah. uh, shot for let shot me, remake let me let me let me answer that question sort of also give my my overall thesis on on why i think this movie is still interesting today ethan mentioned that the photography is ugly and while i don't agree it's kind of made for tv movie 
Oh, I don't agree so. with that specific assessment. I can see why. Well, and and like also it. I didn't say that. <laughs> so Wait, uh, well, you, you don't use me as a straw man. Sorry, I, so I said, don't. Well, you I, say, think you, you say about I think you. I think you said the cinematography just like wasn't very impressive or didn't have a lot going on i thought it just doesn't i it just doesn't have an aesthetic sensibility it is yeah. aggressively not ugly it's just very flat ah uh, okay okay so so let me so let me while we're talking <laughs> on on that um the uh, that that it sort of has a, a a sort of pastoral beige quality that there's a sort of uh banality to it a sort of calm banality to it that um and the fact that the dead do move so slowly uh, leads into and are often not that threatening. There's some really cool effects of like uh, crowbars sinking into heads and such, but nothing that you won't really see on, you know, Walking Dead because Greg Nicotero works heavily on Walking Dead. And one of the few things that's consistently good, one of the only things I should say that's consistently good about Walking Dead is that the special effects are great. Um, there's some insane shit that they do on Walking Dead, like, you know, three or four times a season. Um, and I don't watch the show anymore, but, you know, for six or seven seasons when I did, whenever the fuck I watched, five seasons, uh, every every three episodes, I'd be like, that's an, that's a crazy zombie kill. But that's this not really here. That. Yeah. That movie doesn't have, this doesn't have that, which I think the sort of... Um, there's there's a, a lot of behind the scenes commotion going on with with what was compromised from Savini's original vision. Savini originally was going to make it um, was going to originally make it have much more intense special effects, but he wasn't going to necessarily make it a bloodbath. His goal <laughs> from interviews was basically to make it gorier. But not sorry to make it more um, the 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 effect of seeing a zombie. Um, more viscerally terrifying, more existentially terrifying, and and the then the thought that these were slow slower zombies, not necessarily you know uh, Day of the Dead style dragging the corpse apart into seven pieces style zombies, was supposed to lead into this sort of idea that the zombies aren't that threatening if we all work together, and it, and it has a sort of, sort of thematic connection uh, to why I kind of like this movie, and there is sort of like um, a like neutral quality to the film. So I guess I do agree with Ethan. There's like a neutral quality of the film. I just happen to find it aesthetically pleasing because there's a sort of beige pastoral quality. It very much reminds me of like the Midwest in, in like the winter before the snow sets in, um, even though it's obviously Pennsylvania. Um, but uh, that, that uh, and, and having that sort of uh, beige, banal sort of everyday quality actually does unnerve me in a way um, that I, I, I think... The original movie, while much scarier, has more nightmare quality. It's more it, it's more uh, avant-garde. Um, it, it, it really leans into sort of impressionistic touches at times with the, the uh, sound design. This doesn't do any of that shit. And the gore isn't that intense. And uh, the score is terrible and should have been dropped to really nail this. But like, there's a sort of calmness to this that I think separates it from later zombie movies because it's not actually about. I mean, except for all the yelling. Um, and there's a. <laughs> I don't think it's any more yelly than the original. Like, yeah, I, and I, there's I, a lot yeah. of very calm, quiet moments in this as well. Yeah, uh, but anyway, anyways, the point that I'm getting to is that um. The fact that the zombies aren't a big threat and that the the threat feels very everyday and very calm at times means that we have set up a different dynamic in this movie, which is it's not just Barbara as an action hero. It's that Cooper is because in the original movie, Cooper was in a way sort of right. They could have just hidden the basement. 
and then ben does and then he still gets murdered because they, they uh, you know the, the the rednecks refuse to recognize his humanity um but also ben's sort of right like the, the, you know those things are those things will eventually take down a door and you don't want to be trapped in the basement when those things take down a door so like they're both kind of right and then there's a third path that this movie establishes and it's sort of like it's going back to the original framework it says what if barbara was a slightly different character what if she reacted to trauma differently and barbara says they're so fucking slow or they're so slow <laughs> like she's react and then when she finally takes takes a chance to go run away from them it, it, it's not so much supposed to be this like terrifying, you know, drag knockout, drag down, like uh, evil dead moment. It's supposed to be her establishing a third path. She's saying, I'm going to go out and get help because none of you are willing to come follow me. I'll bring back help and I'm going to change the situation. So Barbara becomes not just a person of action. She becomes a person, a person of action in terms of like, you know, murder. She becomes a person of action in terms of, um, actually changing the plan and realizing and, and the movie takes it out of a, a racial flip framework as much and puts it more into a gender framework and it's saying that more these two bullshit men masculinity are just yelling and, yeah yeah these two men are just screaming at each other about a plan when ultimately their plans are very compatible they just refuse to see a way that, that that it could work and they refuse to sort of like pull their resources together and the fact that there's that key at the end in the basement the gas key gas can key gets found in the basement uh adds even more of a sour note to that because if they had talked to each other if they had worked to each other they could have uh saved everyone's life they could have had the resources they needed to get Barbara out of there to go, you know, do a recon mission to get more people. They could have gotten, you know, the redneck squadron to them faster. But the movie t places it in a gender spectrum where it's like this woman is just not being fucking listened to until she's literally like scream. She she has to scream to be heard. Um, well, not only that, that's why I like that's why I like the movie is that it actually pushes. It says the original movie was was talking about race, even though George at some points in, is, in time has said, uh, you know, I, I wasn't making it about race. This movie is saying it's actually about gender. What if Barbara was someone who could speak her voice, could be a person of action? And the entire movie is changed irrevocably because of that. And, and, you know, we need to talk about the sort of uh, denouement at the end, the, the epilogue. But well, that's uh, <laughs> but that's but that is what that's where we will probably agree dash disagree on what works. But Barbara has more of an effect in this movie than just she's one more lady with a gun. So you kind of pass through the special effects. I do want to just quickly mention, like, you're right. Like, it's not going for horribly gory or anything like that. And it's having, like, classic zombies. I would actually... One of my notes is that I actually think that it makes a really poor choice in that. Um, just because it is kind of saying, like, almost every zombie movie post Night of the Living Dead, for, for the most part, try to do something of a twist on zombies. Like, not like 28 Days Later a level of twist or something like that, but, like... You know, in Dawn of the Dead, they're a, they're a little more, like, omnipresent. Day of the Dead, they can start learning stuff. And Return of the Living Dead, they actually, like, can talk and eat brains. And you can keep going through that line. And part of the reason for that is just naturally, like, hey, at this point, audiences have seen, you know, 20-plus years when this movie came out of zombie movies and zombie riffs. At, the, at a minimum, it feels like you need to go, like, the Italian route and go, like, with with a ton of gore and i do think that just by like returning to like for the most part singly placed zombies 
without much to say about the zombies or like a way to surprise the audience, I think on a pure like visceral or like horror level, I think the movie probably felt, and I guess contemporary reviews back this up, a little bit boring to people at the time. And I don't feel like it serves enough of a story point to go, yeah, but that's what they're trying to do besides just like, well, yeah, we're remaking the original. So they're a little worse, but basically it's the same thing. Like, well, I think the makeup is good. The effects they have are good. I actually think the banality of the zombies featured here don't add anything thematically and definitely don't add much from a horror standpoint but i do want to talk more about the barbara stuff and uh the harry stuff so but that was just yeah i guess that was when you mentioned like the effects that was actually another reason where like well even if i don't like the thematic things even the horror stuff here is kind of like it's a little underwhelming yeah but and yeah and i I think that they probably could have gone balls to the walls but it would have contrasted with the i think if they had made the zombies too scary in a sense like Barbara's um that 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 the moment where Barbara says fuck we can just walk right through them if we if we work together or if you know I just someone just goes alone and fast uh that sort of mm-hmm. moment that realization um that's something that they do in the walking dead even at, at times like there's characters that know how to just like keep moving and in dodge correctly um and so that's yeah. kind of what the walking dead would eventually do is that the indiv- the dead are not individually that scary it's when they all get together um, that they become like a force, but they also in that show they have horrific violence, like <laughs> faces getting chewed. Ethan, off. though, like I, I honestly believe so. There's that scene in Night of the Living Dead where all of a sudden they kind of get the lookout, the original Night of the Living Dead, where they kind of look out, they see that there's like you know twenty zombies, and they like notice someone eating the intestines, and then that's like I forget if it's right after, or right before the scene of the daughter jumping up and like oh shit, like. There's a kid who just killed, you know, her mom and stuff like that. I remember when I saw that 10, 15 years ago, that like that image of that bald zombie eating the intestines stayed with me in a way that like I imagine was even more magnified to a 1968 audience that probably hadn't seen anything like that. Ethan, you saw this for the first time a few years ago, like. Did did those moments in the original, like just from a pure like horrifying level, stand out to you? Here is kind of one of my big things with this um, the the contrast of these two movies is it has made me aware of how often how much of my sort of enjoyment of a movie can be so impacted by like extra textual factors. So when I see the original. Night of the Living Dead, I am so sort of enchanted by my awareness that these people are creating these tropes before my eyes. So everything that the that the performers who are, um, you know, playing the ghouls, as they're called, um, is is making a choice that will go on to be foundational for how we conceive of, of zombies. And that awareness that Romero was working on a shoestring budget and he was, you know, making it all work by the seat of his pants. And this is this legendary whole thing. And, and not to mention my awareness of, of how he's playing aesthetically with, you know, sort of tropes really heightens everything. And, and to have that kind of removed and just see the story of this movie, it made me wonder how interested I am in the story of night of the living dead. So to answer your question, Aaron, I, 
adore the zombie work, the the choices those actors are making. I do find it very disturbing in that original movie because there's a sense of of sort of lack of a safety net to it almost like these performers are performing like people who could make any choice at any time and there is something very sort of eraser head um eerie about that um the sort of uncanny reality where you know the, the the all bets are off and and that's not the case for this movie because the 1990 version <clears throat> because it is it is so clearly drafting off of the other Romero movies and um, I don't have my chronology of zombie movies down well enough to know what else it would be drafting off but it it feels like a capital A Z M a zombie movie in a way that the other one doesn't I, I mean I think that makes a lot of sense you're you're right though like this does feel like a little bit stripped down and like we, Peter and I have talked about that too. Like the way, like I remember we watched uh, Island of Lost Souls, I think for Spooktober's Peter. Yeah. And both of us like a year apart had the same reaction. Spoilers for the end of Island of, of Lost Souls. But the, uh, but like it's been a couple years, but I think the Dr. Moreau character gets like pushed off and eaten by his monsters in the credits roll. And you're like, Oh, well, holy shit, I obviously I didn't expect that fucking ending, even because it came from 1932. And even though it was a pre-Hays Code movie, there is something like that is more shocking in a lot of ways sometimes than uh, than like going into any movie from the you know, 60s on that's rated R or even PG. You're like, yeah, anything could happen. Like I could see nudity in Airplane. It's rated PG <laughs> right in front of my parents. It'd be super weird. Everyone just looks at each other and hopes it, we move past it. Like you can do anything. And so, yeah, viscera, gore, horror effects, like to truly like shake you out of just like I wasn't expecting that need to do a lot and some of the best horror movies are great at that like oh shit i wasn't expecting that but it's harder when they are like bound by the concepts of uh by like imagination anything that you can think of and knowing that an audience has probably thought of that stuff so when you're watching any movie i think from before 1970 especially black and white movies that extra textual stuff i think is really is really true. Like you're almost turning off the part of your brain that's expecting certain things. So they are, yeah. Sometimes just just seeing those things. Like, do I like Island of Lost Souls because it's a great movie that remade shot for shot would hold up in the in any era it was in, or am I aware that I'm watching a 1932 pre Hayes Code movie and truly shocked by what I'm seeing at the end because? Um, I'm shocked by the political or censorship realities that allowed it to exist. Can I jump back to a, an aesthetic thing that Pete mentioned a few minutes ago, too? Uh, in terms of like the sort of pastoral vibe, the movie that I found myself thinking about aesthetically the most uh, with this movie is is one of my favorite movies, Pet Cemetery. Which <laughs> It's I, funny, I thought of that too, but I, I yeah, sorry, go on. Well, that that's a movie that I think kind of succeeds despite its aesthetics. I mean, there's there's a lot to love in in the way that movie is shot, but it it does just feel a little bland, and yet it transcends it. And and this one, it feels like it doesn't, but it, it is. It, it was an interesting contrast for me. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they both. Um, that, that that's what's interesting about Pet Cemetery is it was a movie that like. Uh, 
really survived it, its reputation uh survived on cable and and the sort of expectation people watching it on tube tv is watching it on vhs uh you know later um and that's why people have such horrific memories of, of certain horror scenes but it's actually a pretty pretty good drama um and and it has i think that movie succeeds yeah. at what i'm talking about here which is that instead of making your film very um impressionistic giving it a sort of like uh pastoral quality um this like new england like mud and and you know uh, dirt road kind of green trees pastoral quality adds to the creepiness for it because the setting feels more every day and it's not trying to make every color as vivid as possible which is something that now that we have digital film that's so flexible like yeah there's so so many advantages but also the disadvantage is that every goddamn horror movie i see now is so bright and so lurid and so vivid and like yes it's a feast for the senses but at times like i'm not craving you know the early 2000s bleached out look um that that you know the 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 post cohen's the post uh um oh brother we're out there post fight club post minority report look i'm not craving that but i'm craving a sort of mix of uh the the pet cemetery era with like what we get now with like midsummer where like every shot is could be i don't want to say every shot is a painting because that's a whole different thing but every (laughs) shot is a very vivid lurid experience um versus some shots are just intended to sort of capture what it feels like to be in a banal setting which is what most of our lives are uh i want to get back to something peter said though the other part of this now i know we have uh, we just started recording, so we have quite a lot of time to get through stuff. But I want to make sure that um, – or wait, do I know that we've been rec- – I forget what's happened from my – We've been the recording character. for a long time. Okay, great. Oh, what? No, no! <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're right out of time then. Oh, everyone's in a lot of trouble. I'm going to murder your families. Uh, so <laughs> it's both in character and out of character. Uh, so I do want to get back to the kind of the, the ending that the, the that Peter also mentioned. Um, so I actually think I would love this movie to be about feminism in the way that I feel like Night of the Living Dead was ultimately about racism. And Night of the Living Dead isn't like about racism for the entirety of the movie, but the ending is so powerful because here you have a black man who is not uh, bitten by the virus. And the racist rednecks of Pennsylvania see him and just shoot him. And that is like, here's your hero. He's survived this horrific ordeal. Oh, shit. Yeah, he's black in 1968. It's a message that worked then. And as we talked about, uh, or as you guys talked about, (laughs) um, it it holds holds true uh, very much today. I don't think that, like, it's, and maybe it's just a clarity of message. Like, that is such a clear message that, or, 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 uh, image or feeling that it's leaving you with, or theme that's like, oh, shit, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't matter they wasn't a zombie. They shot him. Um, I feel like this is, well, it clearly is like, hey, what if Barbara becomes Ellen Ripley? A joke that I'm making because I didn't hear your beginning at all because I wasn't invited for the first time. Um, I mean, it is it is not a reach that that, you know, that that comparison feels like it is right yeah. there on the surface for everybody. And like also like, yeah, I get it. Like this guy was an asshole. But I feel like 
if there is a theme, it's I I feel like it's less about commenting on feminism or woman empowerment or stuff like that in the nineties. And Peter, actually, your argument made me think about it in a way that I hadn't before. So I'm slightly more on that side. But I do think there is an opportunity to make this a more compelling movie. Like, Harry is such an obvious analog for, like, a shitty Wall Street guy right as the 80s get done. Like, it feels like there's more that they could have hammered home between uh, greed and capitalism and feminism. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so much more room to play in this movie that it does. It elects to not do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, it feels like it is adding these things that you're like... Man, if I squint really hard, I can see something about capitalism or Wall Street in the 80s or something about feminism. But I really need to squint. Like, it is not the hammer over the head that Night of the Living Dead is there. And so you almost are like, man, it had all the pieces for let's make a 90s version of Night of the Living Dead. And then it just is like... Oh, why did you make Barbara a badass? Like, oh, could it be cool if she had a gun? And then also, I'm not, I will say, I don't know how fond I am of her joining the racist militia at the end either. Like, uh, with like the hat and kind of sinking back with them. Like, I get they're not like explicitly racist in this, but like, we, the, we all know they're the kind fact of like that she, shitty Yeah, back. yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. But the fact that she blends in with these like, uh, soon to be Trump supporters, um, is, it's yeah, in Pennsylvania, that, no less. Yeah, the fact that she blends in with them um, really speaks to the fact that, like, now nah, I don't think it was intended, but it, but you know, some parts of Night of the Living Dead weren't intended, and now we, they get the benefit of that. So I think this movie also has a similar effect. The fact that she is a white woman means like they're they're like weirdly protective of her and sort of like even a little yeah. mocking, like "Don't worry, lady, we'll take care of you." And the fact that she can just slip right in she puts on her hat and she can slip slip into those like like, white supremacist structures actually and the fact that she's the lone survivor adds to what i think the ultimate ending is but i don't want to i don't want to derail where you're going uh so please no that's kind of where i'm going like i just feels like man like yeah she she you're right like peter she like was like hey could you listen to me please but i don't feel like ben as a character yeah he's shouting a lot at harry but I just don't feel like there's enough there to be like, this is about how men yell at each other and how Barbara knows the clear way to do it. Like, I'm not saying you can't read into that or that wouldn't be an interesting thing. I think that would be a very interesting thing. It just feels like, what if we basically do the fighting from the movie, but also now Barbara's a badass and saves the Like, too, too much of it just doesn't connect. And again, the I'm sorry, like the ending does feel weird and gross. Like, it doesn't feel like a message of empowerment. Except that, like, she shoots the guy that, like, caused all the problems at the end, which, great, good, Harry's an asshole, I guess he survives, shoot him. But, like, just with the people she's surrounding himself, the way they just approach with, like, hey, little lady, like, oh, we'll get you with the gun, and, like, then take her on. Like, it, the whole thing feels like but she specifically it, missing something. She specifically is having, and I'll I'll just run here, give give some thoughts, and then we can pass it to Marcus and yeah. Ethan. Um, the the what she's specifically Who? doing is I called you, Peter. <laughs> so so uh, really quickly, she uh, she blends into that sort of what sort of like white gun owning white supremacist sort of uh, uh, vision of America. These sort of militia guys, right? a very specific sort of political alignment. Um, and, and it really resonated with me, the fact that she just kind of blended in with them. And then, and then the fact that in the original movie, they didn't want to have 
they ended up cutting out the sort of zombies being lynched thing. But in this movie, they act, they inserted that these sort of zombies being used as target practice, hanging from trees, yeah. which is something George Romero would also use in, uh, in later, later dead movies. Um, and, and the fact that she is, she's in this, in the middle of this, this, uh, disgusting sort of, uh, rally environment. And she's saying like, she uses that as a chance to use the, we're the real walking deadline, which is, you know, it's, it's overdone. Yes. But Romero did it in all of the dead movies was essentially like, we are the real walking dead. We're the real monsters. Like Romero gets a pass on that, um, but he didn't have them say it. <laughs> Yeah, she she says it. She says no. I know, but like in the other Romero stuff, she says there are. I know she says. I know she says it, like pretty specifically. But I feel like it's implied in the other better Romero movies. No, they they say there's. I don't want to get into that, but there's specific lines in the other dead movies where they basically are saying like they're them and we're us. Did we're us and they're them (laughs) or whatever. so they're them no disagreement they are them they're them and we're us yes <laughs> sure i don't I don't know what this brings to the table Th- that sort of that sort of argument is in the other dead movies and it's it's pre- it's present uh, and she specifically states it like romero gets a pass on that um but the, the the fact that she is commenting that in the middle of this i think that time has given these sort of militia guys way more of a political presence because these militia guys are now marching on state capitals they're marching in rallies they're the the open the the open carry thing has gotten so much worse across the country in every part of the country even like in you know solid blue states so like that imagery and and, um ben's description of the diner scene changes very much so ben's description of the diner scene this time he describes the guy having like a military rifle and he says like one of those m16 guns and like the fact that the story is upgraded yeah, that the story has upgraded from just uh, you know, guy was popping off shots wildly to uh this guy had an assault rifle, so like tons of people got shot innocently. Um le- means that it doesn't abandon the themes of the previous movies, but it does place these sort of M16 dumbasses um in a political context of the time that has only grown stronger. And so the ending carries more potency than it did for me 16 years ago, because she is all of a sudden realizing that uh, she was rescued by people that she, she, her distance from humanity, the fact that she was, she needed to be rescued by assholes. And she kind of, at that point, maybe doesn't wish she was rescued at all. um, Makes the ending just as nihilist as the original, uh, in its own specific way, because you don't get the sense that this party is going to end when the zombies are dead. Marcus, what you what did you make of the ending? What you make of Barbara as a character? Like, why, how does this all sit for you? Gee, thanks. Now's my time to start talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, Good, Ethan. Okay, I've trained so you well. <laughs> going back like a half hour when I initially brought up the gore thing. <laughs> we'll start there. Uh, so I like I like I like that this episode could turn Marcus against Peter too. <laughs> uh, but going back to that, when I asked about the gore, is that I don't think like doing an all-out gore splatfest would have really added much to it either. However, I think something that would have added a little bit to it is there are so many scenes where 
you could tell there was a good gore effect that was trimmed, cut down, probably because of rating, things like that. But if it was just sporadically throughout the film, those couple of moments, like when you get a crowbar into the head, or uh, you know when Barbara takes the uh, the fire poker and like you know kills the guy inside the house, if there if those gore effects had actually stayed in and been a little bit more poignant and been a little bit gorier, I think they could have been effective. Not like, you know, throughout the entire film, but just like a couple of small moments where you actually see the brutality of what they're doing instead of cutting away, which they tend to do in any more gory effect that this movie would have had. Yeah. I think it would have been yeah, effective. Um, and as far as Barbara, I, I, I do like her and I do very much agree with kind of what Peter was going with is that it does keep the same kind of themes and the same kind of trajectory for the characters as the original, but I do think it is more gendered in this. And that, you know, basically in the original, you know, you have these two kind of strong-headed characters going against each other. You have it here, too, but it's unnecessary, and they're both just kind of fighting each other for no reason, while Barbara is giving a very reasonable thing that they could do without doing it. So it is their undoing, but there's that scene, you know, after everything goes to shit, and Barbara is just kind of, like, walking slowly and, like, finally sees that the zombies are actually eating people, and is still just, like, keeping them at bay by just kind of, like, pushing them back a little bit and stuff and just crying, because it's just like, this could have been so easy if someone had fucking listened to me. This all went to shit for nothing. And I get that very much, and I think even more so than in the original, both Ben and Cooper are kind of assholes. Like, Ben is good with her when he first shows up and is kind of being more her protector, but then as soon as there is another strong-willed man there, they just get into a dick-measuring contest, and there's the the thing with the TV going down the stairs to where it just, it's ridiculous and unnecessary when they could have just escaped so easily. Um, and then the fact that she does finally escape, she is the one to do that, she got, rid, got away from that stupidness, and then when she gets quote-unquote rescued, which she didn't need to be and wasn't really rescued... It's by that same kind of bullshit masculinity, that same stupidity as she sees these guys fighting with the zombies, like a uh, ringside kind of thing, hanging them up and shooting at them and stuff. And just seeing that like, oh, even though I've got, I survived this and I've gotten out of this, I'm still surrounded by this stupid fucking posturing bullshit masculinity and it's not going to get any better. And what was the fucking point of all this? Is kind of the vibe I, I get from how the movie ends. Yeah, I think that's a relatively good point. I wish someone else had made it, but uh, yeah, I do <laughs> think I think that stare ahead with the hat on. I, I mean, that's a that's a good take. Like you are comparing it to one of the best gut punches in a horror movie. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> at least at least that's a take that I can I can see. I guess working to uh, talk about this in like. It has some things to say about like feminism or or being a misogyny or something like. That. Yeah, and definitely not as strong or powerful as the original, but it has something there. I think more than maybe you guys had given it credit for. I think you guys being myself and uh, guest Ethan Warren. Well, mostly <laughs> mostly you. Ethan's okay. He he gets it. I I'm not sure of his state of mind, uh, or if if he's being forced to say anything at this point. Oh, you men. Uh, I... <laughs> I do have a perspective on this movie, which it sounded like what you were throwing to me, Aaron, that a lot of the decisions in this movie are just kind of, they're they're coming from a chaotic place rather than like sort of a streamlined storytelling place. It's like, you've got, mm. you know, the ending of Night of the Living Dead is very famous. So we're either going to do it again, or we're going to subvert it somehow. Okay, so we're going to subvert yeah. it somehow. So this is what we're going to do. And now this has to move and this has to change and this. And so much of it is about, uh, like, the audience expectation, which 
takes me back to the very beginning of the movie, which we haven't even talked about and is like what set my teeth on edge right away is like I when I was gearing up to watch this movie, one of the lines that I had in my head that I was like, oh, let's see how they you know, what spin they put on that one is they're coming to get you, Barbara from Barbara's brother at the very beginning. And I was like, let's... What if we say it 30 times? I know. I was like, let's see what we're going to do with it. And the answer is, he's just going to like say it really quick before the movie's even started. It's just going to be the first thing you hear before there's even images on the screen. And then he's going to say it a bunch more times for no more, for no reason. And it just like, it just makes the movie feel sort of unnatural. It's like, it's, it's commenting on itself. Um, without it feeling like there's being much, much purpose put into that. Like at the, in the cemetery at the beginning with Johnny and Barbara, after they have given us way, way, way too much exposition about their family life, the guy starts like lurching out of the forest and it's the movie saying to you like, Oh, there it is. There's the first zombie. Just getting the first zombies over here. Actually. Ha ha ha. We got you. And it's, it's very self-aware. It is, but that like, reminds me a lot a of the that... Resident Evil, the Resident Evil remake, the video game, which actually is, it's effective in the video game. But it's like, hey, we know you know this game really well, so here's where the dogs pop out, and then they don't until you're walking back through the hallway. Uh, that's exactly like this. Oh, that guy's just a guy who seems scared. Oh shit! Oh, the zombie popped out from out of frame. He was he was laying in front of them, the and that can time. and that can work perfectly well. Like I just watched uh, for the first time the other day, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is a movie that is constantly, literally commenting on itself in voiceover. Like, oh, can't you, this is that stupid fucking great, trick great again? Movie. It's a great movie. It's it's very effective because it commits to that decision. And there is, I think, there is something potentially really interesting in the idea of remaking this movie. Because the conceit is, what if the first zombie movie ever was made in 1990? That's yeah. that's interesting. I mean, this is this is just the most meat and potatoes, no frills zombie movie. And I feel like you'd want more people going. I don't even care if I die from the zombies. <laughs> <laughs> I just think you would need to have committed to a sort of angle and, and trajectory in a way that. That this just didn't feel like, and I feel like I've just been, I've just been kicking the movie this whole time, which is too bad because like in a vacuum, there's, there's plenty of stuff that is, that is good and interesting about it. Cause it's Night of the Living Dead by George A. Romero, which is a cool movie. <laughs> yeah. And we, and we, cool. we've had a lot of time to talk about like how amazing the original film is, which also means that by transposing. I don't think we same... have as a full group. <laughs> By transposing the same group of people to this discussion, it means inevitably, like, we're, we're not just comparing it to the original. Like, there's absolutely no way to discuss this movie in a vacuum, and I made it even more impossible to discuss in a vacuum uh, by, by using the exact same group of folks um, that we discussed this before. Can you stop saying the exact same? I wasn't in it, Peter. It's the whole thing. I have a question for the group. <laughs> Why is Zack Snyder's uh, remake of uh, Dawn of the Dead good? <laughs> if this is not what there's, there is nothing inherently. Oh, so tu- so tune in next week. <laughs> That's our movie. Oh, is it okay? Well, um, I'm actually I'm looking forward to hearing it because like there's there's nothing that that says these movies are unremakeable. Um, I remember liking that movie. I thought it kind of had had high cultural stock. Um, so I'll, I will find out next week. Tune in next week, folks. On on we love to watch. <laughs> Define that actually, the answer to my yeah, open question. Th- th- thank you, Ethan. 
It's kind of the only Zack Snyder movie that you can say you like without seeming like a little embarrassed. Oh, my God, oh yeah. I mean, you you know about Gahol, right? I am, I am familiar with the Fighting Owl movie. They fight? Gotta see that movie. Keeps getting, keeps getting. I thought maybe that they like, yeah, they hooted, they hooted. Yeah, they asked who. That the it's the it's the worst who's on first routine ever because they never get to what <laughs> or I don't know. But uh, yeah, I think we're I, I I think we're pretty much wrapped up here. Yeah. Um, unless anyone disagrees, in which case I will hear no disagreement. Yeah, you know what? I'll give Marcus and Marcus and Ethan as much time as they need to wrap up because yeah. uh, Aaron and I went back and forth for so long. Uh, Marcus and Ethan. Yeah, no, I definitely got here? the most time on this episode, so I can see why you don't. Have- <laughs> Marcus and Ethan, do you have any final thoughts on the Night of the Living Dead remake? My, I just, I, I just have one sentence, and then Marcus can mm-hmm. can go. I just know that that a lot of the time, uh, while I was watching this, I was thinking about the phrase, it's the singer, not the song. Yeah. Marcus, what's up? Uh, Can you have less than a sentence? (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, it it has some things I do like. Uh, I do like a lot of the performances, especially Tony Todd. I think he is great. Uh, Patricia Tillman, as well as Barbara, uh, is great. Uh, those two together are very good. And it does have some things I like. I think it could have used a little more of some Savini effects, a little bit more Savini gore. Not a whole lot, but like some to punctuate it and make it have a l- little bit more of a kick. Uh, otherwise, like it, it's fine. I didn't enjoy it as much as I did when I originally watched it. I think just because I had kind of thought for so long, like, I would never watch that. That seems like it's fucking horrible. Mm-hmm. And then I did, and I was like, that actually wasn't that bad. And watching it again, the things that I did like, I liked a lot more, but the things that I kind of didn't pay attention to as much or didn't, uh, wasn't as critical of when I first watched it bothered me more this time. So I'm very kind of down the middle. There are some things I quite like and it it's short enough to where it's not really a slog to get through. It is just like a quick 90 minute movie. It moves pretty fast, but yeah, there, there was some, it's not a great movie by any means. If yeah. I could just and tag I, on some on that really quickly, Marcus, yeah. mm-hmm. is that something we discussed at the beginning of the episode is that there just within the series, there's a bunch of uh, very bad Night of the Living Dead remakes. Um, and this is the only uh, even approaching good one. Um, uh, and, and yes, my my rating of it, similar to yours, Marcus, uh, fell dramatically between the two, uh, the, the, you know, viewing I had a decade ago and now. Um, but I think, I think a lot of my benefit came from not even the fact that, you know, my, my old heroes got to, got to come back. It was the fact that, uh, I watched it in the mid two thousands when we were in this glut horrific remakes, Mm -hmm. um, which we're going to discuss a lot, Aaron and and I, uh, this, this summer, but Uh, mostly the good ones, (laughs) but we are going to discuss what's, what was around them. Yes. What, what, or how the good ones inspired a whole lot of bad ones. Well, there Uh, was, there was definitely that whole run where it was like just every, you know, a couple of times a year, we're just going to remake one of the great horror movies. We're going to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We're going to do the Omen. I mean, like that was, that was my college years was just nonstop you know the hills have eyes just yeah you know every weekend and then and then weirdly like what if we did total recall well wait pg-13 wait what if we did (laughs) robocop wait a sec pg-13 though uh yeah it it was a weird time uh nothing and this movie does show there's always been remakes and actually it's a weird movie that I wish was better because I wish it had done better. The contemporary reviews were terrible. Um, I'm assuming you guys didn't get to the uh, how like this was George A. Romero's attempt to uh, make money 
and stuff like that. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely didn't make money. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah, I know, but like this was his chance, right? Like now I can actually make some money off of this thing with the copyright and stuff like that. So it's kind of like this. I I wish it had been better, or even saving that. I wish it had done better, uh, just because. Yeah, I love George Romero. I want him to succeed and. Uh, Peter and I have talked about that quite a bit, that, like, he still got to make movies, um, but uh, imagine this was a hit. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I feel like we may have seen uh, more more great stuff out of him. So, yeah, I think uh, I think that wraps it up. In all seriousness, Ethan, it's been great talking to you. Uh, <laughs> Peter, what's coming up next week? <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, you too. <laughs> What if this was the split where uh, where Aaron and, and Ethan went and did a Dawn of the Dead series, then Marcus and I made a Return of the Living Dead series? <laughs> I, I, here, here, here's the here's the concern with that. Like, as you all know, uh, with COVID, I'm sure. I mean, we're recording this two months in advance, so with COVID, listens are down due to lack of commutes. I think that pairing you and Marcus is only going to hurt our listenership more, as we saw from the Ernest episodes, and I just don't think our network can take well, it right now. I mean, <laughs> is that even possible? I mean, because, I mean, honestly, I don't know. I assume the show's gone downhill. I obviously haven't listened since the last time I've been on, like most people. Um, so I, I just, can it get any worse? Why not try something fun and <laughs> put some life into this? Yeah, I mean, we'll, I'll send over our SoundCloud stats from where we were last time you were on to now. Uh, not give or take a COVID <laughs> Give or take a COVID, okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, you you helped us or hurt us more than COVID has hurt us, right? How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> like, co- like, to be clear, based on the stats of the country, COVID's been worse for the country. But from a network perspective, you not being a guest has been very helpful to us. So like I don't know who has a bigger impact. Like a COVID vaccine. Yeah. yeah, thanks, Peter, who's my best friend and not Marcus's. <laughs> but in all seriousness, Ethan, what do you have to promote? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, well, I am a senior editor at Brightwall Darkroom, which is an online film journal um, devoted to... Uh, essays on how movies and uh, and sometimes TV uh, intersect with what we call the business of being alive. So, uh, gosh, I have no idea what's <laughs> going to be going on in the site uh, when you're all hearing this in July. Uh, as of right now, in May, we, we can just li- yeah, we can just link to your uh, to your profile, Peter. Uh, as a business decision, do you think it's a good idea? Like Brightwall Darkroom rules; it has a great following. Do you think it's a bad business decision for us as we promote our own show to have Ethan on primarily for insider bullshit that he can't really promote? <laughs> but uh, Marcus, do you have anything to promote? Is there anything you want to yeah, you want uh, us to link out? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'd like to promote uh, mental health. Uh, I'd like to promote uh, taking care of yourself, uh, not letting yourself be be bullied by people. Uh, also, I, you know, if you feel like you're, you're losing control of reality, if you're slipping away, if you're just uh, surrounded and drowning and just self doubt uh, and paranoia, I, I I am promoting for you to to seek help and stop taking it out on uh, the people that that you claim to love and their families uh, and their loved ones. <laughs> And uh, just, just, just stop. Just stop. I will say I'm not sure what an investment in my own mental health it was to uh, spend this long marinating in this movie. 
uh, about being stuck in a house and being horrified <laughs> of the threats of the outside world, but not as horrified as you are of the threats from within your own home. <laughs> this, is, this is not the month for that. Yeah. yeah, check your basement, I think, is the ultimate <laughs> advice. I'll here. be in the cellar, which is different than a basement. Uh, so thank you. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you, even Aaron, for uh, for helping us get this strange thing together. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to this fun, fun summer of horrors. Uh, Aaron, do you want me to do the do the next few or do you want to do them? No, I think we did. I think we just need you one at a time. Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of Bill the Dead Fox. with Bill Fox. It's a long summer. If you, yeah, we'll we'll put the whole list on uh, on our Facebook page and probably talk about it at some point. So yeah, a lot of good ones. Bill Fox, Dawn of the Dead, Zack Snyder. Um, I think that was one of the movies, Peter, when we were first thinking of like this month. That was like it'd be kind of fun to talk about that because especially now, like. That movie was like this critical darling. People, not critical darling, it's audience di- darling and like critical, like his favorite, good, but guess. also successful, super successful. And then like Zack Snyder at the time was like this hero of bringing like R ratings back into horror films and action hits, and like the his reputation and and everything else has just changed so dramatically. And I know Peter and I were fans of it when we saw it. Initially, it would, it, we thought it'd be fun to like try to revisit it without all of that cultural baggage. Although I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about uh, where Zack Snyder went down the wrong goal. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> the, uh, the wrong goal. That's that's good. Can you do it again so, next week? <laughs> makes me happy. Yeah. Oh, they'll, like if you want, if you want goal jokes, uh, they'll they'll be there because I've no. I think it might be the only Zack Snyder movie I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah, how could you resist? Yeah, uh, but in the meantime, we'll be the guardians of the Tree Fort, uh, which is known as we love to watch. Uh, honestly, everyone who came on the show today, it's been a blast, a lot of fun. Uh, what's your name? Marcus Jones. Uh, good night. Good night. Good night. Never again. I'm not myself, I am A broken boxer stuffed with glass and sand This is not how health should feel Song sung from the lungs of the elderly I'm dead now, check my chest and you so much for listening to we love to watch if you made it to the end hopefully you liked what you heard today and if you'd like to hear more please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch and if you can chip in a few bucks that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward uh it wasn't an implicit threat by peter he just didn't know how to say it but either way we'll continue to make more but it would be helpful uh, as we explained to our loved ones where all our money is going which is all on server space uh <laughs> if you can't <laughs> uh if you don't have a few bucks to chip in we totally understand and you want to support the 
show, we truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches. Peter and Aaron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>